the course. We are dead. We are all dead. We were supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I know kung fu. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. This whole thing is insane. This whole thing is insane. 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men of power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane! Man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction! Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert. Of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy hair season. Welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is, it just is. Especially with the latest AB Live. Audio version for thee in this eternal now in Red Pill Cafeteria. Our fortunes improved as Susan Chang returned to the virtual Alexandria to discuss her new book, The Living Tarot, connecting the cards to everyday life for better readings. Let's learn how to find personal meanings in tarot cards instead of memorizing predetermined definitions and how to associate each card with unique experiences to develop our correspondences and keywords for reading tarot. Regardless of your expertise or knowledge of tarot, you'll find revelations in this episode into the worlds of magic, archetypes, symbols, and myths. And get ready for a traditional podcast in a few days as we deal with the parallels of Gnosticism and quantum physics. You don't want to miss it. Please support if you find any value in any of this content. The Gnostic revelation is more important than ever, and I can't do it without you. I am very grateful for those of you who come through every week. And it's not hard to contribute. For example, you can simply pledge a few dollars a month on my Patreon. One-time donations are also really appreciated. It really helps, and I can use all the help, as we all do. Don't forget my voice-over availability for any podcast, video game, commercial, audiobook, documentary, or whatevs. I'll bring you stellar results with down-to-home professionalism. And don't forget, I do have an Amazon wishlist and a fantastic merch store. Other than that, let us to our latest AB Live. Write your own gospel, live your own myth. And tell us more, Ethan Hawke. Most of us really want to offer the world something of quality something that the world will consider good or important. And that's really the enemy, because it's not up to us whether what we do is any good. And if history's taught us anything, the world is an extremely unreliable critic. 
Most people don't spend a lot of time thinking about poetry, right? They have a life to live and they're not really that concerned with Allen Ginsberg's poems or anybody's poems until their father dies. They go to a funeral, you lose a child, somebody breaks your heart, they don't love you anymore. And all of a sudden you're desperate for making sense out of this life. And has anybody ever felt this bad before? How did they come out of this cloud? Or the inverse, something great. You meet somebody and your heart explodes. You love them so much you can't even see straight. You know, you're dizzy. Did anybody feel like this before? What is happening to me? And that's when art's not a luxury, it's actually sustenance. We need it. Human creativity is nature manifest in us. And I believe that we are here on this star in space to try to help one another, right? And first we have to survive and then we have to thrive. And to thrive, to express ourselves, all right, well, here's the rub, we have to know ourselves. We know this, the time of our life is so short and how we spend it, are we spending it doing what's important to us? Most of us not. I mean, it's hard, it's hard. The pull of habit is so huge. There's a thing that worries me sometimes whenever you talk about creativity, because it can have this kind of feel that it's just nice. You know, or it's warm, or it's something pleasant. It's not, it's vital. It's the way we heal each other. In singing our song, in telling our story, in inviting you to say, hey, listen to me, and I'll listen to you, we're starting a dialogue. You know? And when you do that, this healing happens. And we start to witness each other's common humanity. We start to assert it. And when we do that, really good things happen. If you want to help your community, if you want to help your family, if you want to help your friends, you have to express yourself. And to express yourself, you have to know yourself. It's actually super easy. You just have to follow your love. Right? There is no path. There's no path till you walk it. And you have to be willing to play the fool. Welcome, everybody, <laughs> to Aeon Bite. Glad you liked that introduction, Susan. Yeah, uh, that's great. Heresy should not be this much fun. <laughs> but it is. It just is. Yeah, that's one of the opening lines. And yes, the other one is welcome, everybody, to AB Live. Down the rabbit hole we go. For those who are red and blue pills and all the other pills, my name is Miguel Connor, and I am still your pompadus of gnosis. And glad to see everybody. I know it's a holiday weekend, and for the for Americans, so I uh, hope everybody enjoyed your holidays. Or if you're still on a holiday, enjoyed your fireworks or whatever Americana mythology falling <laughs> you decide to choose. For everybody else. Uh, some of you, you know, are going, why did this country turn into an empire? But anyway, let's not get into that. Here we are. So, but anyway, a great show. Very excited about everything as always. And certainly excited to have again the wonderful T. Susan Chang to discuss her new book, The Living Tarot, Connecting the Cards to Everyday Life for Better Reading. Susan, thank you very much for coming back on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Miguel. It's been a minute. I think the last time was 2018, right after Tarot Correspondences came out. Exactly. It was fall of 2018. And man, what yeah. a different world. Uh, some, <laughs> I hate to say it, but I don't, I don't know if I like this new world, but I don't miss the old world. Is that kind of strange <laughs> to say? That seems fair. That seems yeah. fair to me. 
it's like there's something else out there which hopefully we are fumbling towards if yes if we don't run yes. into our slouching before. towards <laughs> yes slouching towards bethlehem <laughs> as the poem says uh, and with us too we've got the the greatest sloucher in the world the moondog vans vans how are you doing <laughs> oh i'm okay uh, love the tarot especially the major arc kind of <laughs> so <laughs> as moondog Good deal. Good deal. Well, everybody's going into the uh, chat room, or as we call it, uh, the Chitico, based on Witiko, because <laughs> whenever there's a fight that breaks out. But Vance here, as always, is a great shepherd and demiurge of the chat room. As always, please, so we can uh, figure things out, uh, super chat your questions for Susan if you have them, or comments. Uh, you can do it just for a dollar, just but again, it separates them, and we can get to your questions and all the, the maelstrom that's over there. Uh, other than that, not much else for uh, housekeeping. It's uh, Yeah, it's been a crazy summer, but a lot of good stuff coming on AM Byte in the future, which I will get to sooner rather than later so susan tell us about uh how you came about the living tarot <laughs> yes so <laughs> well as you might remember my my first book tarot correspondences was pretty 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 far down that rabbit hole you know it was um mm. uh fairly technical very fairly esoteric all about you know basically a 777 for tarot and uh, and then came the Fortune's Wheelhouse podcast, which also um, nerds upon nerds and wormholes upon wormholes. Uh, and then out of that came the Tarot Deciphered book, which is basically the uh, the the podcast in paper. And then came Thirty Six Secrets, which is my book on the miners, again uh, focusing on the minor arcana and the ways that we can apply Kabbalistic, astrological, et cetera, uh, filters to understand them better. Now, at this point, I thought it was probably time to actually write a book that practically everybody could understand, <laughs> you know, who had an interest in tarot. And, you know, over the years, I have had such a longing and desire to share tarot with the world. But I've always known that like trying to get people to do it through correspondences was not the way, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, was, a lot of us love them. A lot of us come from that background or, uh, you know, or uh, love the matchy match systems and what goes with what, but, um, but for, 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 for the majority of people, I felt that there needed to be a way in that was truer to the way we experience tarot in a reading. And as a person who's done a lot of readings for people, you know, I found myself constantly translating between, you know, all this stuff, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and what the actual problem was for the actual person and how we could rethink or reframe it. So, uh, so I tried teaching these little courses about tarot out of my house for a little while, but, you know, I felt that what I needed to do was to come up with sort of a grand unified theory of how to do this, because mm -hmm. I honestly think that tarot is a living language. It is a personal language. It's completely idiosyncratic to each reader. So how can you even teach that? To anybody, you know, each of us comes to it in a different way. And over time, I found, you know, as I was reading for people in this sort of little shop where I'd taken up residence once a week, uh, that I 
when people ask, how do I learn tarot? I would basically say, okay, uh, you know, we can't do this right here, right now. But what I'd like you to do is go home and do two things. One, draw a card of the day. And two, look around you at just ordinary things happening in your life and say, how, where do I find this in the tarot deck? How can I find it? So I've realized after doing this innumerable times that this was the seed for how to teach people to teach themselves tarot, to start observing the world around them and just see how is it relevant to me. Just like in astrology, you start by like reading your own chart (laughs) from Sunday and finding out all the things that uh, you know, that that are relevant to you because you're the center of the universe. You're the center of the universe in tarot too. And that is good news for anybody <laughs> who wants to start. You know, there you don't have to memorize things. You don't have to go worship at the feet of Alistair Crowley or, uh, you know, <laughs> Arthur Edward Waite or, or anybody. You're the expert. And this is this book is about returning the expertise to you so you can speak your own personal tarot language. Yeah, well said. As you write in your book, uh, there are no novice tarot readers. And I liked it a lot because uh, I enjoyed your book. In fact, uh, if we, I definitely want to start doing the tarot. I guess, I don't know if we'll have another lockdown, maybe an alien lockdown <laughs> or a nuclear war lockdown. Or well, if there's another lockdown uh, or in the winter, I'll do it because I've never, I've, I've, I try, I learned astrology or got into astrology this year and it's been a disaster. The stars hate me. The archons hate me. Everything is blown up and gives me the, it doesn't matter who does the reading. And uh, I've been lazy with the tarot, Susan, because my wife is a, she's a beast with tarot reading. Yeah. I mean, she's like a, yeah. she's a devout Catholic who's just amazing at tarot. So I get these great readings and I get a speech about saving my soul and all that, but it works <laughs> out. Um, Catholics but, have a head start because of their relationship with symbol, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. A good Catholic knows that kind of language. And as you said, yeah, it's all about a language. I mean, the great innovators of our time, whether it was Crowley or Jung or even Tolkien, the, I think they were trying to create a new language because they realized yeah. we are trapped by our language. And if we're trapped by our language, we can't see a different reality. It's very simple. Our language creates new reality. And as you say, the tarot helps you create a new reality or see a new reality mm. yourself and mm. outward, right? Yes, I think so. I think because it's a language of pictures, uh, it it takes you out of the logos, you know, and and mm. and into a place that's uh, pre-verbal and pre uh, pre all your assumptions. I mean, your world is shaped by, you know, by your word, and by the way that you articulate it, mm-hmm. you know, with your li- with your own language. But I think that you know, and I take this from the Jungians that. Uh, that 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 the the pre-verbal world is imagistic. You know, the world of the subconscious and the unconscious is imagistic, and I think also that that's part of what's happening in magic as well. You know, the fact that we connect with something that is uh, not limited by the way we pin it down verbally, but something that has uh, that expresses itself in images which uh, co-contaminate and, you know, and expand outward into infinite constellations. No, I think you hit it on the nail and our brains have not changed. I think deep down we live in that world of language, mythology, Mm -hmm. symbols. And after that, of course, is the archetypes where the 
the power is. In fact, uh, there is, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to quote you. I had the question, uh, <laughs> tarot is a language, but it's also a worldview. But here you write, my own belief is that working with symbol ultimately is working with reality. That's what makes tarot such a powerful practice. As above, so below. As within, so without. <laughs> we reflect the larger patterns of the universe, and the universe reflects the patterns within us. One does not proceed or cause the other. They are co-arise. Mm -hmm. When we do divination, we deliberately create chaos through randomness or shuffling or scattering. We use the chaotic feel to reflect or project the patterns we cannot otherwise perceive. And when that happens, meaningful coincidence between the eternal and external reality arise, not sometimes, but always. It's what <laughs> you can call synchronicity. So great right. quote if you want to speak more to it <laughs> yes i think the, the 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 best way to sort of um in the mundane world to think about how this works is to think about the sky is the night sky which is full of stars and you know it's not as though the constellations are predetermined up there we see the constellations we project mm -hmm. the constellations onto that field of stars and we make meaning from it as we do. And yet that would not be possible if the fields of stars were not already there. We co-create with the natural order to produce meaning for ourselves. And it's an ongoing, constant collaboration uh, between the eternal order and the mundane. So, you know, I mean, I think one way, uh, I think in one of the Jungian books I've read recently, uh, described the uh, the Tao as the nothingness upon which something depends, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's what we have. Without the chaos, we don't have the order. They go hand in hand. Uh, and and there's something about the two of them that uh that are partners and that we stand always in between, in the middle, in the liminal space, uh, getting to negotiate that for ourselves, both in magic and in divination. No, really well said. I think that's what, uh, what the, the Hermeticist said, that that's what makes us special as humans is that we sit between heaven and earth between the, we are where the fallen angel meets the rising ape. So we have <laughs> yeah. that special, kind of connection to both worlds and that's what we we should do should yes and it's the exactly i mean and and there's something about it too. i've been thinking a lot about this lately about the idea that you know we stand between our 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 belief that we have free will and the and the fact of fate and circumstance right mm -hmm. and that we have to pretend we have to pretend that we have control of this thing that we actually, you know, it's just going to happen anyway. But the, it is the human condition to play that game and to be loved by the gods for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is a playful game. And one part of your book, which uh, I think we should address, but you, <laughs> I love the title, Who You Gonna Call? And that's probably <laughs> what the readers tell you all the time, Susan. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm playing with this, but. What's on the other side, Susan? Yeah. What is on the other side? Yeah, you know, and, and that's, I've, had, I've seen so many people ask this question, who's on the other end of this line, <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes it's like out of fear, like, am I talking to, I, I literally was in yeah. Singapore like some years ago and, and I talked to a very well-educated person who's, who asked me, you know, point blank poker face is it satan are you talking to satan could it be satan like <laughs> could the church it possibly lady? be satan 
<laughs> seen down and, the control panel, you know. Let's see, put this car here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. And you know, and and then there are others who 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 are absolutely certain that it's their personal guardian angel, or you know, and the Golden Dawn. You know, they they themselves said it's it is for certain true. You know, the the angel of tarot. So you know, I mean, I think it is. I think there's a grain of truth in all of that, right? Mm -hmm. And I think probably the best way for a modern person to approach it is to sort of think about like, you know, what is going on in your default settings, right? When you are, you know, when you are placed in a situation, how do you react? What are the voices that are causing you to do that? Is it, you know, the voice of your grandmother? Is it the voice of, you know, your kids? Is it the voice of your third grade math teacher? You know, is it the voice of Gandalf, you know, <laughs> or, you know, pres the president, you know, whatever it is, you know, somebody is um, there. We are polyform, polymorphous human beings. And I think that, you know, rather than uh, going and saying it's some external supernatural human being, which is one way to look at it, you know, for those of us who don't have a lot of practice thinking about spirits talking to us all the time, you know, it's probably more useful to say, well, this is a version of myself. This is the very best, most constructive and useful version of myself, not the one that's sitting in bed eating chocolate <laughs> at three in the morning, not that one, you know, who is valid and exists, but, you know, the one that's going to help me get where I want to go. So that's a good way to start. But, you know, but I also feel that it's worth scrutinizing, you know, where those assumptions come from. And in the who you who you're going to call exercise, I have people sort of like, you know, make a composite of their both their best influences and their worst ones and to kind of discover who that is and um and to ritualize around it no that that makes sense yeah who are you gonna call uh <laughs> and what's that person gonna do for you that's exactly the point Ooh. and the other uh i guess the other issue too would be uh divination <laughs> what is your uh stance on divination i think you you write in your book divination is not is about not being afraid. Think of yeah. think of it as playing a game. After all, divination is one of the hermetic arts, and Hermes is the god of games. Yes, he is. Yes, he is absolutely. And you know, I mean, I think that that's fundamental. The um, it's it's not so much about the rules of the game as the attitude towards the game, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think one of the things about games theoretically, generally, is that, you know, we get very involved in them when we're playing them and we really want to win. I mean, that's the nature of the game. It's not fun if you don't want to win. However, afterwards, you just let it go. You know, it's just a game. You let it go. And to me, that is pretty much exactly parallel to, you know, the attitude in which you pick up a magical working, right? You really, really care. You invest it with all of this energy and you charge your sigil and you, you know, and you raise, uh, you raise energy. And then afterwards does not matter, need not be right. You, cause that part, the rest of it is not your job. Right? In fact, it's none of your business. So, you know, so there's that, there's the attitude about divination, 
um, which also, you know, so that's a, the magical side of it. On the divination side of it, I think it's slightly different in the sense that I, I think that we approach it with um, with the same willingness to listen, a passionate willingness to listen, right? But without having skin in the game, without lust of result, without pushing on it, you know? And, and if you're asking a question in divination where you care so much that you can't let go of the outcome, like there has to be a, there's one right answer, then it's probably not divination. It's probably not uh, the right question. So it's a bit like, I think that, you know, the ideal mindset for divination is probably similar to what um, that Keats called the negative capability. The idea that you are, you know, fully, completely present to the very tips of your fingers, but, uh, but that you are observing as passionately as you would normally act passionately. Well said. Yeah, it reminds me of the quote by Ursula Le Guin, how you play is what you win. How and you play. Gary, yeah. Nice. Or as Gary Lachman once said, Hermes <laughs> is the god of journeys, not destination. Oh, ride, that's it's the, wonderful. It's the ride that matters for this god that rules the tarot and all of magic. And as I say, rules this that's age. Right. This is the age of Hermes. We are that's officially right. at the age of transitions and doorways and nasty j tricks played on us and <laughs> yes and i think you know the idea of divination meaning not being afraid i mean that's that's the thing about hermes right hermes goes everywhere anywhere nothing stands in the way of hermes and i think part of our great fear you know the source of our fear and anxiety in this world is of of the unknown of places mm -hmm. that don't seem safe to go but if you're the one for whom all places are safe you know, then there is no fear, right? If you're going with wherever you go, you have the friend to man beside you. There is no fear. And I think that, you know, um, particularly in divination and ex an expression of the hermetic nature of it is the fact that we work with chaos, that we the fact that we work with um uh, with, with, with randomization, with sortilege, with these cards that we deliberately take out of order and scatter <laughs> however we can, or with its, you know, yarrow sticks or runes or whatever it is, we court that chaos. We court that randomness. And by doing that, we are saying that this system of objects or whatever it is, which represents everything that is or might be or could be imagined, Everything is here, and I'm going to just pick whatever because I'm not afraid, you know, to face that chaos and say, whatever, you know, I will, <laughs> I will take it. It's an incredible act, I think, of metaphysical courage. <laughs> yeah, well said. And uh, I should mention that in the, the myths, Hermes is a trickster, but he never plays tricks on humans. It's all the gods. That's his That's game. That's right. He That's is the right. one who he is the one who helps Odysseus the most. He and Hecate. Yeah. I've always read people yeah. don't make yeah. that connection and realize they might be the same. Hecate oh, yes. and Hermes. But, yes, uh, yes. I think in the PGM there's a there's an epithet, a Herma Heca or Heca uh, Hermes, I think. You know, yeah, yeah, played it. Is, yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's an important uh, aspect that most occultists need to remember because they, they kind of sell these gods short. But uh yeah, yeah, for the audience, yeah. 
the the living tarot and it's not just there's great uh again commentary on susan like we're talking right now but she will actually take you on a journey with graphs uh sections for notes and bang 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 so it's a it's very uh well i want to want to i don't want to say logical but it is there's a step but there's a progression yeah, yeah there's a progression and it's also this is the first workbook i've ever really done i mean i think you know Llewellyn was not at all, all you know wasn't quite sure how they were going to present it because they don't normally do workbooks but they were kind enough and open-minded enough to try and place this book in a way that uh, that really is meant to engage with the reader. It's really meant for you to write in it, like a book you can actually write in sacrilege, but it's meant to be uh, become your own, to become uh, a record of your journey uh, working through tarot. And it is not done when you're done, right? It's like, it's a, like Turney, it's a, like tarot, it's an ongoing journey. You will always be learning from it. But I think that, you know, my hope is that people engage with it so thoroughly and so meaningfully that at the end, it's really a grimoire. You know, it's a it's a it's a record of your progress and a reminder and a grimoire of your work in tarot as a magical person. Yes. I, well, I highly recommend it. Susan will be your Hermes and Hecate <laughs> taking you down into the underworld uh, to find, yeah, to find yourself. I mean, I'm thinking, Two quotes by Gordon White, which uh, I think are useful. Mm -hmm. One is, he always said, if you smile at the unconscious, the unconscious will smile back at you. And I think this is what this <laughs> book helps. Whether it, you want to call yeah. the unconscious the gods, your soul, the whatever mm -hmm. it is, the Akashic records. And I'm also, uh, I'm sort of letting this out of the bag, Susan. Believe it or not, I'm writing a book on uh, on Elvis Presley. Who? Oh no way! <laughs> yeah, he's the most occultist person you've ever met. I mean, he wow. and he was the biggest magician you could think of. He could manipulate weather, oh. astral travel. Uh, no he, kidding. Yeah, he could heal people at a touch, whether they had heart attacks or headaches. He, there's a whole part of Elvis that nobody knows about, even though. Priscilla and everybody was there when he was doing all this, yeah. you know, strange thing. So, uh, and he was yeah. a huge adept of uh, Blavatsky, Manly P. Hall. He read the Gospel of Thomas. No he was, uh, he had several extraterrestrial experiences. He he was all into Von Daniken and Chariots of the God, and was convinced he was Starseed. I mean, but yeah. anyway, yeah. there was. I was I was like. <laughs> I was like, well, Elvis is the greatest magician, but oh shit, now I got to define magic. So, you know, I some people to, you gotta, I'm going to quote yeah. uh, Crowley, I'm going to quote this yeah. Goetia and all that. And I asked Gordon, he said, oh, magic is just being a co-creator with the universe. I'm like, well, thanks. I just wrote like 10 pages. <laughs> just written that and gone writing about Elvis. So what do you think of that? What do you think of that in relation to when people ask you, what is tarot magic? Yes. I mean, I do think it is about stepping up and co-creating deliberately. I think we are co-creating already. You know, I mean, I think that we don't get actually get a choice about that. But I think there's something about magical acts that, you know, where you step up and take responsibility, you know, for being a co-creator, for actually, you know, stepping outside the mundane uses of of the symbol and and assigning, working with it. Uh, um, giving it the gift of your intent. You know, I often talk about, um, about, about uh, sacrifice, about the making of sacred 
sacredness, sacrifice in the context of tarot, because tarot is uh, every tarot reading, every tarot uh, draw from the chaos of randomness is a act of sacrifice, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think that what we sacrifice is doubt, you know, we, and we return what returns to us is meaning. So to me, you know, the co-creation of the universe is that's what it's about. It's about summoning meaning into existence, right? You and the universe hand in hand. Uh, it makes so much sense to me that, you know, that, that <laughs> what you're saying about Elvis, I mean, that, that man was for sure at the nexus of his own reality. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there was no moment at which he was not. So I'm not at all surprised to learn what you're telling me, but, um, but I think it's an inspiration. And I also think that, um, you know, those of us who engage in art of any kind are just that much closer to magic, right? Because of the amount of just humanity that we pour into the space between us and fixed reality, you know, what we perceive as fixed reality, uh, something comes alive in there, right? Something moves. And I think that, you know, it's interesting. I've been thinking a lot about just the concept of movement generally, and the prima mobile, right? You know, and about the idea that if, if, if everything's in motion, then when you are doing divination and you're trying to learn about your fate, well, that's in motion too. Your fate's not fixed. Your fate is moving. Everything moves. So, you know, and just as it's easier to steer something that's in motion, you know, you can also influence something that's in motion. Uh, you can influence something. Uh, you can get a sense of the trajectory when you're doing divination. You can influence the movement when you're doing magic. Beautifully said. Yeah, there's another quote that you write. Speaking of meaning, you write, Susan, to learn tarot is to enter into a long-term relationship with meaning. Perfect. And like any long-term relationship, it depends not just on the moments of high drama, tragedy, <laughs> exhilaration, and romance, although these, these certainly occur, but the long, quiet, peaceful, ordinary stretches of life. And I think that's yes. that might be the best gift, right? Meaning, bringing more meaning into the universe. That's right. You know, I mean, I think sometimes when people first start with tarot, you know, they crack the deck and, you know, and, and maybe they get a major arcanum and it's you know a little chill goes down your spine when that first happens but then <laughs> but then you get like you know the five of swords <laughs> and and of, all of a sudden you have to figure out this thing and why it's great right and why it's why it's numinous and you know and i and i think if you can find the meaning and the numinosity in a card like the three of pentacles or the five of swords and you can find meaning and numinosity in everything. And that I think is part of what tarot teaches us that our, our lives are ordinary, but they're also extraordinary at the same time, you know? Uh, and I think, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I really, that I introduced first in the book is the idea of drawing a card every day and tracking it because the cards themselves will tell you, over time, what they are trying to talk about. They will tell you uh, not only, you know, the big, exciting stuff, but also the little stuff. You know, it's like uh, if, 
uh, one of the things that I discovered about the King of Pentacles over many years of tracking is that I often just have a really great meal, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or I cook something amazing when I get the King of Pentacles. You know, it's not it's not a big deal. It's not like you know, it's not like I become famous or rich or you know, or uh, court the blessings of the demiurge in some other way. But, you know, I, I just have something great to eat. And that is fantastic. That's, you know, and for a person like me, for whom the highlight of every day is dinner, <laughs> that's meaningful. <laughs> what kind of food are you into these days? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, um, I seem to be cooking a lot of uh, Chinese and Southeast Asian food. Um, and it's not even like Eileen, I, I didn't really learn to cook Chinese food from my from my parents or anything. I learned a little from my grandmother, but it's more because I have this history as a cookbook reviewer. So I get cookbooks all mm -hmm. the time. And right now there are like all these amazing Chinese cookbooks. So, <laughs> so <laughs> you know, so my, every night my husband's like, oh, look, Chinese again. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go through all the books. <laughs> yeah, but um, except the last week, the big thing was uh, it was July Fourth, and I make every every July Fourth or around July Fourth. Sometimes it's like July 39th, but around <laughs> July Fourth, I I make fried chicken. I have like this whole mm. process of making fried chicken outside, and that's uh, that's that's a great joy of mine. That has nothing to do with Chinese food. <laughs> Mm, I don't know. It all sounds yummy. <laughs> well, well, Vance, uh, do you have a question or comment? Yeah, I don't see anything from the audience right now, but no, they're I was very wondering... lively down there. Definitely a lot of good. Comments, oh yeah, but, uh... oh yeah, definitely uh, talk surrounding all sorts of things, tarot and otherwise. Um, the uh, fact that the tarot is personal, and of course, the meaning is personal, right? I mean. You can't yeah. have meaning for someone else. How does that relate when you're doing readings for other people? Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, I think that we have personal meanings. We have um, archetypal meaning that is shared in, with the collective. Uh, and that, you know, there's, even though my, my high priestess and your high priestess are going to be different, there are also commonalities. So in the course of a reading, I think that, you know, it's a both and situation. Like there's the the collective knowledge base, there's your knowledge base, and then there's the person you're reading for who has a knowledge base. And hopefully, you know, I think that the reading is a conversation, not, you know, the, it's not the reader coming in there and telling you how things are, right? And telling you like it is. No, it is a conversation between the two parties who are concerned. And, you know, I might have all kinds of ideas about, oh, let's see, let's, let's pick up, uh, you know, uh, the, I don't know, like the star card or something, right? You know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, agreement about the star card in terms of it having something to do with hope, something to do with a healing, something to do with authenticity, but you could have someone who has never read tarot before and they'd be like oh look there's a bird in on the tree <laughs> i have a parakeet who means the world to me you know and that is equally valid if not more right so i feel that um that that not only you know my personal uh relationship with the star which has a lot to do with you know 
literal stardom uh, and the ideas of hope and healing and the parakeet are all valid, <laughs> right? Because, you know, every reading is contextual and the context that you use is the thing the person brings to you. So I think that there's something about asking a question that instantly starts to populate the mind with answers and the cooperation between the image that is presented to you and the answers populating your mind uh, somehow arises. Uh, there somehow arises this thing that is useful and meaningful and beneficial to the querent whose own images are part of that as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Sure. Almost like an intelligent Rorschach test, only with yeah. deeper meaning, right? <laughs> yeah, or shallow meaning too, right? You know, I sometimes, you know, there is such a thing, and I don't think I talk about this in the book, but I think there really is such a thing as ambient tarot, you know, just sort of like tarot that's just like, you know, shooting the shit and color commenting on your day. Like I, on my... Um, Music on my. <laughs> yeah, my my uh, my phone is an oracle. Uh, it changes every two minutes. This is mm. the Seven of Wands. Uh, it must be commenting on the fact that I had very little sleep last night, and I'm kind of struggling to keep my energy up. But uh, but you know, but there's a and, and my screensaver on my laptop is changes every thirty seconds. You know, on tarot, mm. I think that there is um, a way you can use tarot that's just kind of for fun. You know, I mean, like there was the example I often give is this time when the astrologer Austin Kopik and I were at a symposium together and we needed to record something. And uh, we didn't quite know exactly where we were supposed to go. We were going to borrow somebody's cabin. So we had a quiet place to record. And uh, we were like, you know, uh, sort of lost, wandering among these cabins, wondering whether we we're at the right one. And uh, so when we finally get to the one we think is the right one, we both pull out our tarot decks. <laughs> <laughs> and and tarot says i don't remember what uh austin got but i got the fool and it was like okay this is it we're in so <laughs> you know i mean i think that there is a way to just you know hermetically play games with tarot um and and to acknowledge that uh that that the reality that you perceive in the cars is every bit as real as the reality that you're seeing with your physical eyes for sure, no doubt about that. Uh, reality is pretty brittle. It's again, it's we're co-creating. It's interactive, yeah. and it's not yeah. even a woo-woo thing. I think science more it's and more not. backs this up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what was I just reading the other day? I think it was in Sally Nichols's Young and Tarot book, and about you know the the. <laughs> The depressing fact that, you know, when you come right down to what we are at like an atomic level, you are nothing more than a tendency to exist. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. As, as Vance and I were talking, we did a show on quantum physics agnosticism. And when you realize that particles are not objects, they're irritations in the quantum field. <laughs> we're just irritations of some vast super lagoon of consciousness all that three explains of us were, so much we're <laughs> <laughs> little waves you know that act this That's way right. and act that yeah. way so yeah. you yeah. Yeah. aspirin sometimes huh <laughs> yes yes precisely <laughs> well, well me, you know me, quantum uh, quantum does interact with tarot and you know why you shuffle hmm. the deck right and here you have all these uh, the backs of the cards mm -hmm. the card according to quantum theory the card that you're going to turn up 
doesn't exist. It's like Schrodinger's tarot card yes. until you turn it yes. over. I actually believe that. I actually believe that. That's the attitude I take towards every reading, that there is no way that I can know what it is. In fact, there is no, there's no certainty as to what it is, even in, in itself. The card could be anything until I see it, until it's observed. I like that Schrodinger's deck. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I wanted to uh, mention our one of our sponsors. This is a sponsor for uh, Astronosis. And they've been a great help to the show. Again, they are behind Llewellyn. I mean, sorry, behind Susan's book. And I'm glad <laughs> they went for the workbook thing because this is a great book. But uh, yeah, Llewellyn is uh, the world's oldest and largest independent publisher of books for body, mind, and spirit. Llewellyn is dedicated to bringing our readers the very best in metaphysical books and resources. Since 1901, Llewellyn has been at the <laughs> forefront of holistic and metaphysical publishing and thought. So yeah, get your go to Llewellyn, get these books. These are some of our past guests that include Lon Milo Duquette, Joe Graham, and of course, the great uh, John Michael Greer, and they put out yeah. Susan. So they are putting out just amazing work that is uh, expanding consciousness. So and again, they were very, very great supporting our, our conference, and they're uh, great to work for as a podcaster. Just the whole team is a joy, a joy friendly. They really team. are. They really are. They're delightful. And I've mm. really never, you know, I, I occasionally do publish books on my own, but, you know, there is just such a confidence and uh, relief in turning it over to a publisher who knows what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course, yeah. because yeah, it's, it's great to have a team and yeah. as much as our egos don't want to admit it, Susan, we all have blind spots, <laughs> even if we've, you know, we've edited a book 20 times and grandma yeah, loves it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and not to mention that Llewellyn, you know, because of their incredible reach, they go into all those little stores, you know, you, you know, you can find, yes, you can get the living tower on Amazon for sure. But also, you know, you go into your little, you know, new age rock shop, it's going to be there too, you know, and yeah. that is something you cannot get from, you know, uh, a publisher who's very, very small or from yourself, you know, uh, Llewellyn really does have a fantastic, as they say, market penetration. <laughs> yeah, they were when we did our conference at the Theosophical Society in Wheaton, the Quest Bookshop, a great yeah. bookstore, had plenty yeah. of their books. We went to the the library, and uh, God, you would love this library, Susan. It's like <laughs> Harry Potter library. Oh, my God. And wow. you can find these amazing books, and then they have a section of these very unique books that you cannot check out. You can read it there, but you just can't. So Yeah, yeah, I bet, yeah. Books That's rule, cool. books rule. So check it books out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get back a little bit about some of the questions that some some people have probably asked you for years. We talked about, yeah, what is magic? Who's on the other side? What's, what's the deal? All that good stuff. But another one which your book deals is uh, how do I live my lifestyle? How do I prepare to be a good tarot reader? I think that the valid one, because... The more you start reading how the ancients did things, whether it was Hermetics, Gnostic, Christians, Jews, there was a lot of preparation 
for most things. There was a lot of uh, keeping yourself pure in your attitude. It was almost, <laughs> it was just as important as the actual ritual. Yes, yes. I think that that's interesting. I mean, I think one of the things about tarot is that it has a very, very low barrier to entry, which is what I love about it. You know, mm -hmm. you don't need an athame, you don't need a robe, you don't need like <laughs> to make your own pentacle or anything like that. You can just go to Barnes and Noble and buy your own deck. And that's okay, right? Mm -hmm. You know, people don't let anyone tell you you can't buy your own deck. It's totally okay to buy your own deck, even if it's your first one. And uh, and one of the things about tarot is that although it's so easy to start, um, it demands things of you if you, I mean, you get out of it what you put into it, right? It's like Othello, a minute to learn, a lifetime to master. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it's like, the thing about um, in terms of preparing yourself to read tarot that I think is worth remembering is that, again, it is uh, about finding meaning. And you can't really find meaning when you're eating cheese doodles in front of Netflix and trying to do a tarot reading, right? That's <laughs> not really going to work, right? <laughs> you know, you can't, uh, you can't, um, you can't read tarot while you're roller skating and juggling you know, teddy bears. You can't do that because, you know, there's a, th it takes a certain amount of attention and a little bit of space. So um, one of the things that means is that ritual's important, you know, if you want to get meaning out of tarot and also asking the question in a way that you can get answers. So, you know, one of the things that I spend a lot of time talking about, I think it's chapter uh, four or ch no, chapter five is how to ask a question. And it's like, oh my God, I've just read half the book and you're finally telling me how to ask a question. <laughs> this is why I have a tarot deck. <laughs> you know, what took you so long? So, <laughs> but, um, but I, I think it's important because, you know, just like with language, if you ask a question, no matter how well you speak the language, you know, it's, you have to have a certain amount of vocabulary in order to understand the answer. You know, if you, you know, if you ask, I'm learning Dutch right now and uh, hmm. for reasons. And, uh, and one of the questions I always think about because it asks us to translate it is like, you know, how do you say in conversation, what do you think about the economy? Right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my God, I can, I know how to say that in Dutch, but I could never answer that question in Dutch, right? Because <laughs> I just don't have the vocabulary. Right. It's like, how do you answer, what do you think about the economy? If all you know is how do I get to the bathroom, right? You know, or, or, or how to order an appetizer, right? You know, so that's why it takes a little while for me to get to asking questions in this book because I want people to build out their vocabulary first. So yeah. um, don't they have yeah. raspberries in Dutch? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so you know, so I think one of the things ways you prepare yourself to read tarot is by opening up your mind to all the ways that life shows up in tarot, and then when you ask a question. You ask yourself, you know, well, do I actually know the answer to this question? Mm -hmm. Do I actually only want one answer to this question, right? And if you only want one answer, chances are you should be doing magic, not divination, right? But, um, but, uh, but I think it is important to, um, you know, to to be to be 
as sort of mentally clean as you can, you know, as opposed to like, I don't, I don't think you have to fast or abstain or anything like that. I mean, you know, yes, wash your hands. You have smart food dust on them, but, but, in, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, in terms of just um, approaching tarot for answers, you know, I think the best thing to do is just to have, uh, have preserve the hygiene of an open, open mind above all you know, uh, and be willing to consider any answer, no matter how scary or not scary. And in fact, a really good way to prepare for that is to do what I call priming the pump, which is, you know, when you think about your question, you imagine like four or five possible different answers and what those might look like in tarot. Something about doing that kind of you know, gets the engine going, gets the metaphor engine going so that even when you shuffle the cards and you draw the random card, which is none of those four or five cards you imagine, it's so much easier to start interpreting it and get the answers you need because you did the work beforehand. And you also talk about there's something called a psychic buzz experience. What yeah. is that? That goes with it too. Yes, it does. It does. So, um, one of the things that I noticed right when I began reading tarot was like, I would pick up the deck and there was like a zzz, sort of like, like touching a, um, a, you know, or licking a battery kind of a thing or, um, or touching a electric appliance, just sort of an energy to it. And, um, and I, I thought, well, that's weird, but the m moment I did it, I picked them up again. I experienced it again. So with time, I began to realize that this was a thing and that um, we could use this thing to use the power of the body, the power of the non-thinking parts of the human um, uh, organism to mm -hmm. get to something that was more truthful. So, uh, so what I do is, you know, you may or may not experience that when you pick up the deck, but you can certainly experience it in your body just by doing the experiment, which is to think of something that you love, something or someone that you love and observe how that feels in your body. You can feel, I almost feel like there's, it's almost like there's a magnet out there and everything sorts, sort of aligns itself towards the magnet. There's a feeling of like openness and, um, and anticipation even. And then, you know, then the opposite, you can also connect with the opposite, uh, which is think of something that you hate. And, you know, this is a, not a very comfortable exercise, but it's worth doing. I always think of cheddar cheese, which <laughs> is <laughs> my thing. But, um, and what I notice is that like, there's a, like a, like, there's a feeling of like holding yourself in and kind of shutting down. And, you know, I, I'm sure some of you are doing it right now where you can just feel like you're protecting yourself in a way. So when you, um, when you prepare yourself to read, it's good to sort of open yourself up. It's good to use that feeling in the body of yes, of I am interested, I am excited, I am, you know, I am desirous of the meaning that's about to come to me. And I think to me, this is consonant with the idea that the universe runs on eras, that the, mm. the motion of the cosmos is driven by eras, which is a very old idea, but I think works well for divination. Yeah, yeah, the old uh, Ian Culliano, Eros is the binding principle of the universe, whether it's yes. stars, atoms, it's a very yeah. important force, so. 
Yes. I would yes. agree with that one too. Yeah. Some people in the chat keep asking, is this a beginner's workbook? For those of you who have joined late, yes. Yes. You, this is for you if you want to start on your journey of tarot. If you're a uh, intermediate or advanced, you're also going to find a lot of uh, tools and ideas to help you out. So yes, it's uh Yes, absolutely. The idea is to take you from, you know, from from not knowing anything about tarot, having just bought your first deck, to being able to read for everyone, you know, if you wish to do that, or just for yourself, because that's legitimate too. I mean, I do the exercises in here all the time. It's they are tools to be used again and again, just like, you know, after the first 10 times you use a hammer, you don't throw it out. That's the same idea with this book. <laughs> yeah, like one of them is a draw a card every day, right? Yeah, Start there. yeah, draw a card every day. And how does that help out or how would you explain it to a novice? Yes. So one thing about the card of the day that I think is wonderful is that it provides you with sort of a constant companion. Um to the to the constant uh, dialogue going on in your head like when is a good time to think about the card you drew in the morning well when you are upset uh when you are confused uh when you're just buffering you know when there are many times during the course of the day when you could use a little bit of guidance at least if you're me i mean mm -hmm. at least half a dozen if not more <laughs> and the thing about the tarot is that it is a way of sort of you know how, uh, you know, in the Kabbalah, there's a theory that in each Sephira, there's an exit door right. <laughs> out of each Sephira. I, I sort of think of tarot that way. It's sort of like when you are sort of bound up in this, in this sort of circling cyclical dialogue in your head, it offers an exit door, right? A way of concentrating on something external to you and allowing meaning to arise in the space, something different that's from what's going on in there. So I find that, that that card of the day is fantastic for that. One thing that does happen sometimes is that people get afraid, you know, because they're afraid of what might happen. Uh, uh, if they draw, you know, the 10 of swords or the nine of the swords or the devil or the death card first thing in the morning. And if you're really afraid, a good thing to do is just do it at night, you know, after the day's done as a like commentary on what happened and see, how tarot describes your day you know mm -hmm. it's completely legitimate no yeah certainly makes uh perfect sense and the question i i have for you is uh i do for divination i do the I Ching. it's really worked out for me and i would do mm -hmm. it i had a reader i do the whole shebang with the sticks and the coins but my friend maja dao who's just an amazing I Ching reader she's like no, you can use an app. An app works perfectly. What yes. is your view on app versus cards? I think apps are fine. I think it's 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 what you put into it. The danger of an app is just that you might take it too casually, you know, uh, and not take it seriously just because it's so available and accessible. I think the ritual of doing something physical literally puts more skin in the game, right? But but you can absolutely use apps. I love them. I think that they, you know, it's fantastic when you are traveling light. Uh, I've certainly drawn card of the day with apps. I, I really do believe that, you know, divination is, um, is not tool dependent. You know, mm -hmm. it is, uh, it is a way of looking at the world, you know, not 
a gadget, right? So even if you found yourself in the middle of the woods with nothing but sticks and stones, you could do divination, right? And similarly, if you found yourself in a locked antiseptic room with nothing but your phone and an app, you can do divination, right? <laughs> do you do any other divination? You're talking about Austin. He's obviously known for the astrology. You mentioned he whipped out the tarot. Do you use other forms of divination? Um, well, I mean... Of course, there's a huge debate over whether astrology is a form of divination or not, but I certainly use astrology for various things. I've done some electional work using astrology. Um, and I own runes. I own yarrow sticks. I oh. occasionally take them out. I, um, I will do geomancy from time to time. Generally, I'm a mostly tarot person, but mm. every once in a while, I, will, um, I have taken out all the tools and used them all <laughs> at once because I, you know, when it was something like I did this for, I think, the 2018 midterms because I was really concerned. <laughs> and, and I thought, this is bigger than me. I need all the tools. So I took out like six or seven different tools. And, and they all said the same thing. So uh -huh. that was helpful. <laughs> you know, good thing they agreed. Good thing they agreed. Yes. <laughs> but like we say, yeah, 2018, that's like ancient history. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I, I mean, I, I really love, um, I think I Ching is very similar in spirit to tarot. Mm. You know, I think that if you read I Ching, you can read tarot and vice versa. I think that they are quite similar. Uh, similarly, um, non-prescriptive, uh, similar relationship with chaos, uh, similar interpretive model. Yeah. Very true. Well, Vance, I think I see some uh, super chat questions. You want to put them on yes. the screen and... And hand them over right. to Susan. Here's one from our friend Altrusian. Yeah, Great he's also a sponsor of the show. Uh, he was a yes. sponsor of the conference, and we are we collaborate. Uh, check out oh, his audiobooks. And check out his work. He does a great uh, video work. I, I wonder if his channel has tarot. Matt, do you have any tarot readings or books in your channel? Well, if he's still listening. Anyway, uh, the question is... Has she ever combined tarot and bibliomancy, or does she have any thoughts on this? Was that part of the 2018? Oh, that's uh, great. Um, I don't think I did bibliomancy with that, but I for sure will the next time. <laughs> I think bibliomancy is amazing. I, I, I really love bibliomancy. Have you ever um, have you ever run across the Homero Montean? It's basically, this is old, it's from the PGM, I think, um, and it's like, it takes uh, 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 38, no, 80 passages out of the Odyssey, um, and mm. there is actually a digital version of it, which you can wow. use, um, <coughs> which feels more random. Uh, so you can, you can, where you would get a relevant passage from the Odyssey. Anyway, but uh, I think bibliomancy is great. I think it absolutely could be combined with tarot. I have never done it myself, but now I want to. <laughs> All right. All right. Another one from Jonathan Dumir. Have you read Tomberg's Meditations? I have not, um, unless uh, I've read Meditations on the Tarot, which is by Anonymous, but that's probably something different because i don't know whether tomberg is anonymous um i'd love to learn more about it okay 
And uh, the third one was a super chat from Francis of Sophia Clot, but it wasn't a question. <clears throat> I'll show it anyway. It's divination is not tool dependent. Um, yeah. Francis yeah. Loves yeah. That. yeah. 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 I think it's true. <laughs> I had a question. Um, I usually ask, I think I asked you this last time. Uh, what have you to say about the Deck of Toth, Crowley deck. Ah, uh, yes, the the yes, the Toth deck. I am a fan. Um, you know, I, I it was the second tarot deck that I bought after Rider right Wade Smith uh, in 1999, I think, in 1998, and I did not know what to do with that thing. I could not make it go. You know, I tried and tried for you know maybe a few months at the time. Uh, and I thought, this is spooky. I don't understand what these astrological symbols mean. Uh, I didn't ha know about the Book of Thoth at that time. Um, and I just did not know what to do with it. But, um, you know, over the years, I would only use it for people who had a predilection for that deck. And then I would just sort of read it like I read Rider Waite Smith, knowing what I knew about Rider Waite Smith. But then it was really, you know, when I became a little bit more attuned to, um, Mel Moline's work, my co-host on For Fortune's Wheelhouse, she is, you know, thought forward. <laughs> you know, she is uh, based on thought. And as I began, began to know her decks, I felt a calling to read the Book of Thought and kind of understand it better. And of course, when we did Fortune's Wheelhouse, we went on a huge deep dive into into Thoth, um, which taught me everything I know about Thoth. And, uh, you know, and I, and I really truly appreciate it now. I, I love it just both aesthetically. I think it's a beautiful deck, but also in terms of how explicit it is with the esoterics, you know, it is, if you can understand why, what the rationale is behind the colors and the, and the, and the moods and the keywords behind that deck, then you have, an enormous arsenal of meanings to add to your understanding of any deck. So um, it's not for everybody, of course, you know, it is, it does have a certain vibe, but, um, but I'm a, I'm a fan. Very good. Yeah. I learned astrology, you know, um, or I'm not that I'm an expert, but um, before I got into the tarot. So I appreciated the astrological attributions and so forth. That's what made me a yes. fan of cheat codes, you know, <laughs> things. <that you> have <laughs> to <look> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes, there's there's definitely, you know, a way that it, the thought deck kind of expands your brain. Like, you know, um, if you look at, uh, you know, the five of swords and it's Venus in the first decade of Aquarius, that tells you something that you would not necessarily get just from looking at the picture on Rider Wade Smith. And to be yeah. clear, your book says it's a Rider Waite Smith. That's the one you're working. This one, with that's what we're doing with, in the Living Tarot. I felt that um, because in the English speaking world, you know, Rider Waite Smith really is the lingua franca of tarot. Uh, it's much easier to start with. I think. Um, I think there's something really fundamental about the fact that every card practically has a human face on it, right? That allows you to sort of just jump in there and have a relationship with it. And if you had to create a tarot card, is there anything you would like, like a succession tarot card or a Westworld tarot card? <laughs> well, you Silicon know, Miguel, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I ever told you this, that once upon a time, 
uh, it was before tarot correspondences, but uh, just as a joke with a friend, I made a Cole Porter lyric tarot. <laughs> oh, wow. No. I yeah, there's a, cool. only two copies in existence, and I almost never use it. But, you know, I'm a real Cole Porter nerd. So um, so I did that. No, I, I would love to um, I would love to be to have that skill. Both my parents were artists. I am not. I do some graphic design, but I'm not an artist. And uh, and one of the things I hope I'll do next year is, you know, force myself to develop that part of myself a little bit. Maybe as next year's Deccan Walk, um, I might, you know, spend time. So every year, Deccan Walk, I spend 10 days with each of the two through 10 minor cards, getting to know them better. Uh, uh, and last year, I wrote a poem for, put together a poem for each one. This year, I'm working with AI on each one. But next year, I think I would like to, um, like to actually, you know, develop this the 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 left side of my brain a little bit and work with or rather the right side the left side's all taken care of <laughs> <laughs> develop the right side of my brain a little bit and uh and try to do some primitive drawing yeah. awesome well as we get to the end of the interview susan any other uh, last advice that you might want to give people outside of buy my damn book or any, <laughs> or any advice for the tarot reader out there um, well, for those who have not started reading tarot, um, start. <laughs> I think everyone should. I mean, I think that tarot is an incredible, powerful tool for um, for being able to face your life. Um, and then for those of you who are, um, you know, who are already tarot readers, you know, uh, share it with the world. You know, it is a gift to be able to do this. And and uh, and and don't be shy about offering it to other people. Um, yeah, I think that's that's what I have to say about that. The other thing that I always mention when talking about the living tarot is that if you have bought the book, thank you, first of all. But if you have bought the book, um, save the receipt because you can get the price of the book off of taking the living tarot course, the online course. And the online course is slightly different in the sense that although this is the textbook for it uh, on the online course you have a monthly meeting um, with me and other students you have feedback from me on assignments and if you graduate you get a reading from me as well so it's a really good deal yeah and you've got i think you mentioned over 300 students so it's uh you're yeah jamming. i think it's more than 350 by now wow. i think yeah. yeah 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 coming up on 400 <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, check it out. I, I, there was a addendum to that question, Susan, from John. Oh, Zimmer. it is meditations on the tarot. Uh, oh, okay, fantastic. That's great. Yes, yes. I I find meditations on the tarot fascinating, and it's it's a brain stretcher for me because I'm not very well versed in Christian hermeticism, but I really enjoy um, going as, with the major arcana. You know, going down that wormhole and learning a little bit more about the way um that that uh that author saw uh, saw the majors cool well thanks for that jonathan i uh, hope it answers your question and of course your website is simple t susan chang.com right that's that's right that's, that's right. your yeah. death star or whatever you want to call it your, your, <laughs> your vortex everything moves from there <laughs> that's my middle earth middle earth even better yeah better than death star sorry <laughs>
<laughs> awesome. Well, uh, good questions. Great comments over there. Great discussions in the chat. And uh, I don't have much else. Uh, first, I'll say, Vance, thanks for keeping the Chatico safe and for your input. Oh, no problem. Uh, a little bit of Crowley puns here. The, uh, <laughs> There's something about wand- Crowley that invites oh, yeah. puns. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wonderful interview and a great Wonderful. disc discussion. <laughs> Thank you so much, Vance. Yeah, Susan, as always, it's a delight talking to you and uh, reading your work. And yeah, good luck with everything. And uh, we hope so to much, chat Michelle. sooner rather than later. It's always good to catch up with you. Thanks again for inviting me. Pleasure is all ours. And for everybody else, as I always say, have a good weekend. And yeah, write your own gospel, live your own myth. Until the next time, take care, everybody.